Hello and welcome to the This Is Marketing Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be talking about 2017 and reviewing the year and some predictions for next year. Twenty seventeen was hopefully a good year for all of you. It was a good year for me. Uh, definitely in the podcast, we spent a lot of time together. We spent a lot more time than we spent in twenty sixteen, and hopefully not as much time as we're going to be spending in twenty eighteen. But who knows? We'll have to see how things go. Yes, a couple podcasts ago, I talked about having twenty thousand listens, which isn't on the grand scheme of things a huge number when it comes to podcasts. But in my thought process, it's not a small number either. So. Very happy to have all of you along the way there to talk about different topics. But when we look at 2017 as a year, as a whole, uh, what has it been? Has it been a good year for us? Has it been a bad year for marketers? Where do we kind of fall in that space? I have some ideas that I wanted to share in this podcast about what I think 2017 really felt like as a marketer as I start to look back uh, and think in, in terms of things that we were doing uh, at Youngstown State University in marketing where, you know, we're spending um, a decent amount of money in, in a marketing budget for uh, different trends and just trying things out and seeing what worked and what didn't. And some of the trends that we've started to see uh, have really shifted our thought processes as it pertains to digital marketing. Now, obviously, with the political season coming out of itself last year, ending in 2016, really getting into 2017, and then all the controversy controversy of what Facebook was doing with maybe putting ads out and what different countries were doing and all this shit that none of us care about because at the end of the day, we are just the people that place it. Um, what is the blinders kind of been pulled up as far as digital marketing is concerned? Uh, read a year on marketing week that talked about that it's been a bad year for digital and the headline was digital. The year of gloss comes off. And what they were really talking about was that um, the Procter and Gamble chief brand officer said that he pulled $100 million of digital spend and had no negative impact on sales. Uh, and, and again, one industry, one company, and understanding what that actually means. And that's quite a, that's a shit ton of money, $100 million on digital spending. But where was that digital spending? Who was the target of that digital spending? And does the problem lie within digital marketing itself? And by what I meant by the blinders kind of coming up was that I think when you're in the business world and you're in the digital marketing world, it's easy for us to go out and sell digital marketing as an idea because, you know, for me to come in and say, hey, I can place marketing directly in your customer's hand at all times and they're going to see you and we're going to raise brand strength. We're going to create engagements, conversations, stories, uh, a connection with them where they can engage with you and you can engage back. Uh, is that what we were kind of selling and then not producing that at the end of the day? Well, I would hope not. I hope that as a marketer, you had that plan in place. You know how to use these social media platforms, these digital marketing platforms, your AdWords, your Facebook ads, your analytics, all of this stuff. I hope you understand how to use all that to actually reach into those areas and actually engage with these users. But if not, there's always this year for you to learn it for sure. Not a hard thing, but by pulling the blinders up, what I really do mean is, Are we kind of exposing this now as this idea that there's so many people doing this? There's so many businesses in the space. There's so many advertising companies that are just buying a ton of media for companies that we've overcrowded the space for our consumers. And as consumers have those blinders been pulled up and now that they see the light coming through, they're starting to say, well, wait a minute, why is this content coming to me? You know, I know at some point at the end of towards the end of this year, 
maybe third, fourth quarter, Facebook started toying with this idea of two different feeds. And as that starts to get rolled out, you're really, it's putting a lot of pressure on marketers to really build content and brands to build content that is resonating again with, with users. And this is something we've been talking about with years is, is how is content really impacted the way that brands are perceived by their, their customers and how they start that engagement period. Um, this year, what I've learned is that engagement, you can never have enough engagement. You can never create enough content to where you oversaturate engagement with your audience only if that content is compelling. If you're producing content that people want to see, that people want to engage with, and they have a genuine, genuine interest in what you're, the story you're telling, and they engage with you back, there's no limit to the amount of that type of content that you can produce. Now, is it always feasible for a business to do that? No. If you're a small business and you're sitting there and saying, Ross, you keep saying that, but I have no idea where to even start with that. I don't have the money to do that. Yes, you, you have resources, you have cell phones, you have people, you have authentic storytellers, hopefully right under your nose. They're there. You just have to be able to coach them into that. And I know that that's an idea that's easier said than done for sure. Uh, and maybe over the last 12 years of me doing this, I've just learned enough of that to be able to pull that story from somebody to be able to sit down and have a conversation and figure out what it is that they have to say that's going to resonate with my audience, no matter what the product is or whatever the brand is. The companies that, that are doing this well um, continue to tell these stories, and it, it's not always on a whole level. They don't put that story out to every audience. What they do is they actually find the audience that they're going to build this story for, produce the story, and then put it out. One of my favorite uh, kind of storytellers that I've seen this year has been Mike Rowe. Got into Mike Rowe's podcast at the end of last year um, and really started listening to him and then start following him on Facebook. And I've always been a fan of Mike Rowe's from his narration voice over Deadliest Catch to Dirty Jobs, which was a trailblazer. Uh, if you really look back at Dis Discovery Channel and you look at when his show came out and then all of the shows that have been on Discovery Channel, History Channel, from there on out have really been trailblazed by Mike Rowe and what he was doing. And he did the simplest thing. When you look at Dirty Jobs, and if you listen to some of his early podcasts, uh, actually, I think Lewis Howe, uh, who's another great podcaster, he did an interview with him um, about how he got into Dirty Jobs. I'm pretty sure that was the, the interview. It's a two-hour, it's a two-parter. And he talks about how he got started with Dirty Jobs. And really, the idea about his story was people had stories to tell about shitty jobs that they did. And it was interesting. And he went to producers, and he was able to put together this idea and sell it and then go out and produce the show himself. And a lot of the times he talked about, we would show up to somebody that submitted to us to go, to go research this dirty job. We'd show up with our production company and we had no idea what we were in for. We had no idea what we were going to do. And it told this every time you watch dirty jobs, think about how authentic that content is. And yeah, it's funny at the end of the day, the entire title, the concept and, and Mike Rose kind of demeanor through the whole thing is hilarious. Um, but when we kind of go back and we look at that, that was a trailblazer for so many shows built off of authentic content. So he built an entire brand of authenticity storytelling around this. And it, it helped trailblaze a million other shows that are now on. Uh, and he talks about some of the numbers of that. I mean, it's in the, like the 50s or hundreds or something stupid of, of the amount of programs that have come off of this. Well, and now, so this year, uh, he came on the Facebook, so he figured out a way to pivot. You know, he went to podcasting, and, and anyone that's doing podcasting really well 
uh, is making some bank there and they have a name and it, it really helps when you have a brand behind you that you can kind of pivot that platform off of and micro definitely does. Um, but then he's actually pivoted again to produce an online show only for Facebook called returning the favor, which is another one of these genuine authentic storytellers when he goes out and he meets with people that have just done good in the community that have put in a, a ton of hours for people. And what he does is he goes to that person and it's someone submits to him and he goes to that person and, and they return the favor to them. So whether it's not, they give them what, like uh, one episode was a guy that took uh, veterans back uh, and let had them work in his machine bike shop or car or mechanic shop. And so Roe went in and he, you know, donated all kind of new parts and, and new tools and everything like that. And they redid the shop. And I think they paid off his mortgage for a year or something like that on the shop. So again, returning the favor, feel good content. The stories are out there waiting to be told no matter where they're at. But Mike Rowe is, is a genius at this as he is able to go in and tell these stories in such a way that it makes people resonate. It's happy. It's, it's happy go lucky. It makes you feel good. Um, and it's not short form content. You know, some of these pieces are half hour. And it's on Facebook, and that's the only platform that it's being distributed on. And he's getting tens of millions of views on it, comments, and he's building this brand and this show on a platform that we all have access to, that we all have the ability to do. Now, yeah, does he have a production company following him around? Yes. I'm not going to discredit him and this idea on that. The basic principle is that this year has been another great year for content and storytellers. And if your business is not capitalizing on that, you're missing the boat. That's where an investment of marketing dollars could be put. And trust me, you can find young kids that have the ability to shoot. They have the cameras. They have the equipment or they know how to get it uh, that can come in and tell these stories. You just have to have that one idea of what that basic premise is. And you don't have to. It doesn't have to be a series. It could be one really good story about a product or about a brand that has longevity to it. It could last for several years where the content's out there and it's getting views. Um, or it could be months. You know, I like to work in, in terms of weeks at Youngstown State. We have, you know, we have students that are doing great stuff every day and faculty that are doing great stuff every day. And the days that we don't we aren't able to go in and capture that, it's our loss because those stories are there. They're just waiting to be told. And every time I go out on campus, I'm in a meeting or I see a, a presentation of some kind, there's always a story I can walk away with. And there's always something I can produce about it that becomes a whole social media day where we're talking about that all day and we put the content out, we see the shares, we get the likes, we get the engagement. It helps build our brand and it creates that brand sentiment that people are going to actually come back to and engage with us on. And it could lead to an admission. We don't know. That's the other part about creating great content is you don't know what new customer you're going to get because of it, what new fan you're going to have, what new brand, brand ambassador is going to share it with their thousand friends and all of a sudden, you have all these new clients and people that are watching your stuff. That's what's important. So it's about finding your niche in, in content and really working with it. So as we look at digital marketing, it's that same idea is how can we take what we've done content wise and use digital marketing to actually push us out? So when Procter & Gamble's chief marketing guy came back and said, hey, we pulled all this money out. We didn't see a difference. My follow up question would be. Was it just ads that you were doing, which I'm willing to bet that's what it was? Or was it just ads that you were producing? And if it was, why weren't you producing content around the brands that you manage? Why weren't you producing content? Because 
if you're pushing $100 million worth of advertising around really good content, you're definitely gonna have better metrics and you're gonna have a lot more data coming in on that versus if you were just running ads about brands that didn't have any impact. So for me, that was a double-edged statement to say like, we've pulled it back and this was, I guess, a letter he he wrote in, but I kind of read the article, I kind of didn't. It sounded like it was something he wrote to his uh, shareholders and you know maybe making a statement that we're doing good and no amount of marketing is going to make us do better which is a lie because you can go in and create better better brand sentiment it's just how are you resonating with those audience just because you pulled money out and you didn't see a difference all that tells me is that you were doing shitty marketing that whole time anyway you have to if you're spending a hundred million dollars and you don't see a difference in anything there's something there's something wrong there Uh, And maybe I didn't read the rest of the article. Maybe they fired him afterwards because somebody inside said, hey, it's your fault. Um, Another one of these stories from the same article that I thought was interesting, which, uh, again, kind of talks to this customer base. I found one article that I thought that, well, I'll use this article as a premise to talk on my podcast this week. End of the year. Didn't want to spend a ton of time getting into too many things that I talked about through the year. But there were a couple things, again, that I thought that this would be cool to talk about. So uh, Airlines. A crisis of customer experience is the headline. And it goes into talking about um, British Airways, um, crisis management. You know, we had uh, that guy that was ripped off of that one airline. I can't remember if it was. Let me see if it's in here. Uh, It's not. I don't know which airline it was, but you had that one guy that got pulled off uh, of the flight. You have numerous social media videos out there from the year that you're just seeing uh, little parents with little kids getting kicked off of flights because of, you know, giving their seats up and who gave it up to this CEO or this and that airlines have had a terrible PR year. Uh, not in the sense that people aren't flying because people still need to get around. So I don't know if there's that much impact. How many people are not going to fly a certain airline because of a treatment of another individual? I think it's much easier. And I've seen this a lot in the last two years, uh, maybe even three when you're talking about the elections, there is no awkwardness on social media when it comes to people just bashing brands and bashing other people. So this sense, this idea that social media has opened up kind of this gate of anyone saying whatever they want because they're not face to face with anybody. Uh, I don't know how many of these people that bash brands and bash other people that would would actually do so in front of other people or maybe they're a person that doesn't speak up in the room. Um, But social media has just brought that down completely. And what it does is it creates this space online where if you screw up as a brand and it gets any kind of media coverage, uh, it could destroy your brand altogether. Airline companies at least have enough money behind themselves that they can work their way out of it. It's, it's gotta be a tough year for some of these brands, especially where people are getting ripped off of flights uh, to deal with that kind of stuff. But that's why we have crisis communication and that's why we have the kind of social media crisis uh, interventions that we have and the plans that we make around those. But what I'm seeing, and I think what the idea here is, is that social media has opened up this gateway of customer experience. Uh, And when that kind of stuff happens, as a brand, as a business, you have to be willing to go the extra mile to provide that service to people via social media to make it right. Um, And that's what's important, I think, in in this past year, was we've seen so many examples of that. The 2018 needs to be the year where you're always on your toes and ready for it because it's going to happen. And it may be your fault. It may not be your fault. But as a band, as a brand, as a band, as a brand, as a business, as the PR people, as the marketing people, you have to have these strategies. You have to have that expert on staff that can help you with this kind of stuff. 
Um, and it is just kind of traditional PR, but what you really need to be kind of just weary of is when there's a big difference between complaining and trolling when it comes to the internet and how you deal with either one of those, uh, impacts how your brand's going to kind of survive through that incident. So when you have trolling, the best practice is to just let it go. Don't involve yourself. They're always going to beat you. Uh, they will win. They're good. They're better at it than you are. You know, I always say you don't argue with dumb people because you'll bring they'll bring you down to their level and then beat you with experience. Same thing with trolls. They're so good at it that they will destroy you and they're hiding behind something that no gives them no identity most of the time. The difference is when you're a brand, there is a person into that there is a person with that identity. Uh, your brand is that identity. And by going against that person, uh, you'll always come out looking on the wrong end of that and in the wrong side of that. So just be very wary of how you engage with that kind of stuff. There's a right way to make things right, and there's a wrong way. Try to always take it private if you can and, and make it right there. Uh, and don't don't think the private's private because it's the Internet and it's not. So customer service is, is a big year. It's going to be another big year. And it, I think customer service is just as much PR as it is marketing. I mean, those two things are used a lot in the same sentences. I think that good customer uh, experiences and good customer service – uh, is very much a uh, vehicle that marketing is driving and, and how you kind of expose those. And, and you can use good customer service uh, to your advantage. You know, you can show those good experiences and turn them around and make them into a little marketing piece that talks about your customer service. Um, so if done correctly, that's a good way to really look at that uh, and move forward. And kind of the last thing in this article that I thought was very true was uh, – the risks of influence marketing. You see a lot of influence marketing these days. Um, and we've seen a lot of celebrities um, make mistakes and they have brands that are behind them and brands that pull out from them because of these things. So influence marketing has never been bigger. It's, it's huge. It's the idea against behind podcasting. You know, a lot of podcasters are making money because they're getting advertising from brands that they talk about or engage with. And then, sell that product back to their listeners. Uh, and it's no difference with celebrities or athletes, but when we have people getting in trouble, that becomes a direct representation of brands. And with all of the sexual misconduct stuff that's been happening here in the last three or four months, um, that's really been killing some brands because there's a lot of big brands that put a lot of money behind celebrities and now they have to you know disassociate themselves with them and backpedal a lot of those contracts. And they've lost a lot of money because of it, uh, maybe because of the production value that they've had on stuff, you know, the, the marketing buys they've done. Look at Netflix and all the money that it had in the House of Cards as a production of their, it's their own production. And then you have all this sexual misconduct stuff come out and all of a sudden the, the show's pulled and then it's back. And then how do you kind of, how do you navigate that? It goes back, it's, it's not the customer experience side of it customer service side of it, but it is that customer experience. They don't want to be experiencing a product that they like, House of Cards, off of the provider, Netflix, because of the person. So looking at that kind of stuff, you have to be very careful uh, where your influence, influence or money is spent. Now, that being said, there's also the very positive side of that, the people that you use as influence marketing that can really, really make a brand uh, kind of go go a lot further because of it. I think that where people are really making it is in these YouTubes and Instagram videos that are being produced. You have a lot of young people 
they're becoming brand ambassadors for big, big brands uh, because of their following or because of the stories that they're telling, how they engage with the product. Um, and that's something that's huge. I think it's going to be very, very big in 2018. See a lot of money start shifting gears there. Uh, and a lot of money is going to start changing hands because influence marketing is back to what we've been talking about at the beginning of this. It's authentic. If you can get in it now, there's some influencers out there that aren't. But if you can get somebody, a normal person, a normal everyday individual such as myself, such as you, that can figure out a way to promote a brand in a positive way that resonates with customers, you are going to get paid as the person that's doing that. And the brand is going to get exposure and they're going to get higher sales because of it. And that's just the reality of what the internet is kind of moving towards. It's a trend. I don't know that it's a trend that's ever going to go away anytime soon. And that's a really, really good thing. Uh, but as we watch that happen, I think that's going to be a very big trend that we saw in 2017. It's going to grow in 2018. And you're going to see it on different platforms, not just YouTube and Instagram. Snapchat, I think, is going to continue to grow, diversify their product even more. They got the filter thing going. Where they need to figure it out is how to get businesses to buy into the not only the buy-in to be able to do it cost affordably where we're doing more than just filters, more than just some stories at the end. Uh, how can I get people to engage with my business like they can on Facebook? How can I get them to engage my business like they can on Facebook in a way that makes both of us feel like it was worth the time that we're putting into it? Because Snapchat is not an easy thing to do for a business. You have to put a ton of work into it. And that's something that I think we're really going to see shift here. Instagram's a prime example of kind of where that, and again, it's Facebook, but Instagram really took everything that was good about their platform, everything that's good about Snapchat, and combined the two. And seeing that happen uh, really shows that it can be done. Snapchat has to figure that out a little bit. But when they do, you have more prospect there for influence marketing. You have more availability for people to reach out to brands uh, and brands to reach out to people. And that's what's going to make the internet go around, I think, in 2018. So, for this podcast, you know, quick overview, didn't get too into the weeds with stuff, but go listen to podcasts from the rest of this year. You're going to get in all kind of weeds. Um, really looking forward to next year. I'm, I'm excited to see what kind of new things come out, where some of these trends go uh, and how some of this stuff shakes out, you know, how some of these these brands and, and uh, social media platforms really expand as far as the customers is, is, is considered. Uh, consumers are gold, so that's where we need to focus on everything we need to make sure that everything that we're doing is making it the best and easiest possible experience for them and, and it's easy for both of us to do so it's gonna be an interesting year uh, but I wanted to thank you a lot for this year this has been a good year of listeners uh, looking forward to next year and seeing where we go from there um, thanks for listening share this podcast have a great new year be safe and as I tell most people don't do anything I want to do which isn't a lot